Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. All right, Mark 6 is where we're going to be this morning. The Mark 6 starts with a really difficult story, and one of those stories that, um, like I said last week, we don't talk about a lot, but it is, it's the story of the rejection of Jesus in his hometown. Jesus goes home, and the people who knew him and should have embraced him reject him. And noticeably, you'll remember at the end of that passage that because of that rejection, the power of Jesus is muted among them. Now, whether Jesus mutes that power himself is a conversation we could have, but noticeably, we're told Jesus is unable to perform powerful acts among them, except that he heals a few people, we're told. So you and I hear that, and we hear, like, heals a few people. That's amazing. That's incredible power. But Mark says he was only able to heal a few people as though something so much more extraordinary could have happened if those people hadn't rejected Jesus. So that's the context of the passage that we're about to read, starting in Mark 6, verse 6. At least the passage as we find it, the context as we find it in the the text. Let me kind of set a contemporary context for this passage, too. We're living in a time that is, you know, filled with all kinds of difficulties. Here we are kind of moving through this pandemic. It feels like getting closer to the end, but it's a time of staggering sickness and loss. In addition to that, we've had another, we had another mass shooting this week, this one in Indianapolis. We're reminded of the one a few weeks ago in Atlanta, and it seems like there is no end to the violence, hatred in our world today. You know, we're living in a time of division where people can't get along. Even our own country divided in on itself. Okay. So that's the contemporary context in which we come to this passage. And it's in a moment like that that we wonder, God, why aren't you doing more acts of power among us right now? And we think back to Mark 6 and we wonder, you know, how has the rejection of Jesus influenced or hampered the power of God we see on display around us. And so then to that question, well, God, why aren't you doing more among among us right now? We get this response of, I am doing powerful things among you, but perhaps not in the way you would expect and in a way that involves you and me. All right. Let's look at Mark 6, starting in verse 6 this morning. Mark 6, starting in verse 6. And then Jesus traveled through the surrounding villages teaching. So this is immediately after his rejection. And he called for the 12 and he sent them out in pairs. Talking about the 12 disciples, 12 apostles. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. And he instructed them to take nothing for the journey except a walking stick, no bread, no bags, and no money in their belts. He told them to wear sandals, but not to put on two shirts. That's my favorite part. He said, whatever house you enter, remain there until you leave that place. And if a place doesn't welcome you or listen to you as you leave, 
shake the dust off of your feet as a witness against them. And so they went out and they proclaimed that people should change their hearts and lives. They should repent is the word. They cast out many demons. They anointed many sick people with olive oil and they healed them. Back in graduate school, I had this buddy. He was a deep thinking theology student. I mean, so taken, enamored by, perplexed by the deep questions of God that he, he couldn't be bothered to do things like comb his hair or wear socks. He, he always wore loafers, no socks. He didn't have time for socks. These were big questions. If you're trying to picture what he looks like, just picture what Alan Black looked like in the 70s. And that's, that's probably, probably it. Not. So midway through graduate school, he takes a job just to pay the bills. And you remember, I'm, I'm going to school in West Texas. And so he takes a job with a cowboy boot maker. And he's a master cowboy boot maker. And uh, he sees something in my friend who just took this job to pay the bills, but he sees this potential in my friend, which I always thought was strange because my friend didn't wear socks. And we're talking about cowboy boots, but he sees something in my friend And so he starts inviting my friend to do more and more with him, to work longer hours, to to teach him more of the trade of boot making. And and over time, I'm seeing less and less of my friend in class and more and more about the boots that he's taking part in making. Eventually, he he drops out of school. I kind of lose touch with my buddy. So the other day, I I Googled him to, to see what he's up to, and he is now a master boot maker. And uh, I don't know how much he thinks about theology anymore because his boots sell for thousands of dollars. So I've decided I'm going to think less about theology and more about boots too. So he, as I reflect on that, he was invited by the master to be an apprentice, to learn from him, to follow him, to be taught the trade. And he just gives himself fully to that until... He became a master too. And I thought about that story as I was reflecting on this passage here in Mark 6, because here's here's these 12 that Jesus has called, these 12 men. And uh, he calls them for reasons that we don't know. How many of you are are watching the Chosen TV series? Are any of you watching this? It's It's a really incredible series. What they try to do in that series, in addition to other things, is give background to the lives of the 12 apostles. You know, what was it about these 12 that Jesus saw that he thought they could come and do what he's doing? Well, Mark doesn't tell us those things. Uh, We don't know what Mark sees in these guys, but he sees something in each of them that leads him to come and say to them, come, follow me, and I will teach you how to fish for people. You know, the calling has three parts. Come, be with me, follow me, stay with me, and I'll teach you. I'll equip you. You know, it's, it's a calling to apprenticeship is what it is. And if you go back, and I challenge you to do this this afternoon, if you go back and you read through the first five chapters of Mark, what you're going to see, even moving into Mark 6, the very beginning of Mark 6, everywhere Jesus goes, everything Jesus does, Mark tells us, and the disciples were there too. Whether he's eating in the home of sinners, whether he's healing a woman who's had a long-term illness or raising a little girl from the dead. Wherever Jesus goes, whatever Jesus does, the disciples are right there, right behind him, following him, learning from him. They are apprenticing 
under the feet of the master. But then comes Mark 6, 6. And Jesus takes these apprentices and he sends them away. He sends them out into the world, we're told. He doesn't send them out by themselves. He sends them out in pairs, but he sends them out. And we know that they've got to be thinking to themselves, us? You're sending us? <laughs> We're your apprentices. We're not masters. Uh, 50 years ago, 50 years ago, these two scientists did a study where they, they examined all of the best chess players in the world, the masters and the grandmasters. And this is what they wrote about that. They said, there are no instant experts in chess, certainly no instant masters or grandmasters. There appears to be not on record any case where a person reached grandmaster level with less than about a decade of intense preoccupation with the game. We would estimate very roughly that a master has spent perhaps 10,000 to 50,000 hours staring at chess moves. Malcolm Gladwell famously wrote a book about this. Some of you have read that book. And he describes the 10,000 hour theory. And, and the idea is that if you want to be a master in anything, it's going to take at least 10,000 hours of practice. How many of you have a sixth or seventh grader in band right now? Can you imagine 10,000 hours more of trombone? Just let them quit, you know. All right. These guys, these disciples have not spent 10,000 hours following Jesus. They are not masters. Even if you were to count the time they're sleeping. So if we were to give them 24 hours a day, 10,000 hours is well over a year. We don't think they've been with Jesus that long by now. And if you don't count the sleeping time, even if you gave them 12 hours a day, we're looking at almost three years of training under Jesus before they could be considered masters in this. Do you remember how long Jesus' ministry was? Three years, okay, just worth thinking about there for a second. So these, these guys are apprentices. They're not masters. And Jesus sends them out. What we have here, we have, we have this transition taking place in their lives. It's a transition from apprentice so learning about something, following in the footsteps of the master. It's the transition from apprentice to ambassador, to representative of the master. In the ancient world, the, the role of ambassador was really important. It's still important today, but you know, back then, this is kind of before a king or a president could get on the phone and call up the president on the other side of the world and just hash things out, okay? And so what he would do, even in his own territory, is that he would send ambassadors all over the territory who represented him, who were filled with his authority, given his authority, and they were to be the king in that place. They were to represent the king in that place, okay? And so you got you know, you to think about this. The disciples get the message loud and clear. Jesus says he's giving them authority over unclean spirits. We're about to look at that. But they know exactly what's happening. They know in this moment, a bunch of apprentices are being commissioned as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. They're given his authority and they're called to go and represent him. They've seen Jesus go toe to toe with demons. They've seen him heal and fix sick and broken people. And they've got to be thinking, we are not ready for this. And so you and I, you know, are reading this story 2,000 years later and we're like, poor guys. 
Can you imagine how much that would have been tough, tough? Man, glad it's not me. And in response, Paul says, you remember what Paul says? We are ambassadors for Christ. We are. God is negotiating with you through us. We beg you as Christ's representatives, ambassadors, to be reconciled to God. We're all ambassadors for Christ. Okay, so this is, you know, this simple truth I want you to see about this text that I want us to just reflect on and dwell on in song for a moment. Just kind of let this wash over you. There is this myth that the Christian life is about learning more and more about Jesus. Yes. But does God expect or does Jesus desire that you learn everything before you go out on his behalf? No. And sometimes we buy into this myth because especially, hey, in churches of Christ, we are really good at learning about Jesus. Can we, just, can we just be honest and say we're the people who know a lot about Jesus? We're not the only people who know a lot about Jesus, but we've always worn this badge when we go out there like, hey, we're the Bible people. Like, we know about Jesus. And we teach about Jesus. We form our young people to know about Jesus. We have this incredible like adult ministry teaching about Jesus. We are all about teaching about Jesus, okay? Teaching about Jesus is good, but you are an apprentice for Jesus, yes, but you are also an ambassador for Jesus. It's not one or the other. It is always both. You are always learning at the feet of the master, and you are always representing the master in the world. You are an ambassador for Christ. We think about the, you know, the current problems in our world. We're wondering, God, why aren't you doing more to fix this? And God says, I'm doing a lot to fix this. I have sent out millions of ambassadors. Can you imagine how different our world would be if we live that way? You are an ambassador for Christ. I am all for Christ. I am an ambassador in this world for Christ. I'm still his apprentice, but I'm also his ambassador. So what does that mean to me? If I, if I kind of lean into my identity as an ambassador for Christ, what's that going to mean in my life? Well, this text helps us to understand that, at least, at least in three ways. And so I want to I dive into those. So let's look um, kind of line by line about what Jesus says or does for these ambassadors that he's sending out. I'm going to reflect on what that's going to mean for us. So the first thing. He gave them authority as he sends them out. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. Do you remember the story of the burning bush? This is in Exodus in your Old Testament. God's man, Moses, is on the run. He's in hiding. And he comes across this bush that is burning but not turning to ash. Burning but not burning up. So he knows this is something special, and he approaches. He realizes he's on holy ground, takes his sandals off, and then the bush that's burning begins to speak to him, and it's God. And God says, I have heard my people crying in Egypt. They've been in slavery for 400 years. I have heard my people crying in Egypt, and I am coming to rescue them. And Moses has got to be thinking, yes. All right, God, go get them. 
you go to Egypt and you bust them out of there. This is going to be so great. And then you remember what God says. He says, so Moses, get going. I'm sending you. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You realize what this is? This is an appointment, an appointment to an ambassadorship. Okay. The way that God is going to work in this foreign place is that God is going to send his representative to bring his people out. That is the way that his power will be on, uh, on display in this world through his ambassador. He's sending his ambassador. Uh, let me pause here and just, just as a side note, who sends ambassadors? Kings and gods. God, right? So when Jesus sends out ambassadors on his behalf, what's he saying about himself? King and God. All right, side note. Okay, Moses gets word that God is sending him, and Moses is thinking, me? Moses said to God, who am I to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He does not think that he has the authority to pull this off. God, I'm an apprentice at best. I'm not cut out for this. I don't talk too good, he tells God. God, you have got the wrong guy for this. I'm not ready for this. And God says this in response. God said, I'll be with you. I will be with you. And this will show you that I'm the one who sent you. At the end of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, right before Mark, the whole gospel ends with these words. These are words spoken to the followers of Jesus, and we believe they apply to us. Notice what Jesus says. He says, I've received all what? Authority. I've received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, in that authority, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And look, look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. One of the the burdens and also honors of being a minister is that I'm I'm invited into people's lives at moments often when they have lost faith. When they're really struggling and it feels like God is far, they don't feel the presence of God. And so what we often think and what we tell ourselves is when I feel God's presence, then I'm going to go out. I'm going to do great things for God. If I'm not feeling it, I'm not going to go out because I'm not feeling it. But when I feel it, I'm going to go out. And what Jesus says is go out and you're going to feel my presence. You know, like when you go out as an ambassador for my sake, I am going to show up every time because all authority has been given to me, I'm gonna give that authority to you by the grace and blessing of my presence with you every day. And so if you're wondering, why don't I feel God? You you gotta ask yourself this question, am I going out in God's name and for God's sake? Because there's this promise, when you do, I will be with you every day. I'll be with you. Okay, so that's the first thing it means. When, when I'm living as an ambassador for Christ, I'm going to experience his authority and presence in my life. Okay, but second, he, he says this to him. He instructed them as he sends them out, take nothing for the journey except a walking stick, no bread, no bags, no money in their belts. He told them to wear sandals, but not to put on two shirts. And he said, whatever house you enter 
remain there until you leave that place. So firstly, if I'm an ambassador for Christ, if I'm living my life as God's representative in the world, I'm going to experience his authority and power and presence in my life. But secondly, Jesus is going to put me into situations where I am forced to rely on him. Where I don't have the security blankets I so often rely on that prevent me from having to rely on him. Uh, How many of you... You, you've, you've babysit for somebody or you have a kid and they've got like a blanket or, a, or like a lovey. Our kids call it their bee. You know what I'm talking about? That thing they've got to have with them. Have you ever made the mistake of, of putting that thing in the wash right before bedtime and forgetting to move it to the dryer? Have you ever done this? Okay, then your kid's trying to go to sleep without their safety, their security blanket. My kid's like, dad, my bee. You know, the, the, the world is falling apart. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, all right. Apparently y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, Ron Wade, one of our shepherds, amazing man, a young dad from Highland was meeting with him not long ago and he and his wife and their family, they were thinking about taking this huge step in their life as, as a family. And they believed it was a step that God was calling to. I mean, this was a step in the direction of obedience to God, but it was going to be a hard thing. And they did not know if they were cut out for it. And I'll, I'll tell that story another time. So he goes to Ron Wade, one of our shepherds, and he's talking to Ron about whether he should do this, and he's really struggling with it. And, and Ron just looks up from his coffee and he says, well, you know, I've never regretted a single decision I made in my life in which I had to totally rely on God. Well, how can you not do the hard thing after that? And here's the thing. He and his family stepped into that hard thing because of it, and God's graces have been unceasing. Okay, my faith will only grow if I'm in situations where I have to rely on God. If I'm always able to rely on what I bring to the table, on what I provide, I will never be forced in positions where I have to rely on God. So one of the reasons God calls us to be his ambassadors is because when I live into my identity as an ambassador for Christ in situations where I'm forced to rely on him, my faith grows. Because he's going to be there and he's going to provide what I need. If you flip ahead, you'll look, all six or all 12 of these guys, if you go to the end of chapter six, all 12 of these guys go out and all 12 come back. It's not easy. In fact, that's what we're going to look at next. They run into some hard times, but God gives them everything he needs when they are living as his ambassadors. All right, well, that brings us to the third thing. This is verse 11. If a place doesn't welcome you or listen to you when you're an ambassador for Christ, as you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a witness against them. Um. Our oldest is playing coach pitch baseball right now, Noble. And just for the record, that's a, any, any sport where the dad is put in a situation where he might strike out his own kid. Like, there, there's a problem there. And, um, but it's the first game of the season. I'm not pitching. Murray Butler, who goes to Highland, good friend, he's pitching, he's coaching too. And uh, it's 9-2, to two, we're down. We're way out of this game. They get two outs on us, but then our boys start this little two-out rally. Everybody's getting a hit. We're bringing in runs, and all of a sudden, we are back in this game. And then I see that Noble's coming up on the lineup. And I start praying, okay? And here's what I'm praying. 
God, let one of these other boys strike out. <laughs> I'm a preacher. I hate to admit that, but I did. Okay. Not because I care if my son gets a hit. I don't care if he gets a hit. I don't care if we win. I, have, I don't care about that at all. I just don't want him to have that experience of being the one who ends the two-hour rally. <laughs> oh, Noble gets up to the plate, though. The rally's still going. And strike one. Strike two. I've been praying. At this point, I stopped praying. And I, instead, I'm trying to access Luke Skywalker's force. <laughs> I'm trying to will that ball to hit that bat. Pitch comes. Strike three. Strikes out. And so he, he comes to the sideline, and he comes to his daddy, and he buries his head in my chest, and he's just weeping, he's crying, he's so destroyed. And I, I'm telling him he did great, he was great swings. It's okay, buddy, you'll get him next time. But I, I mean, I'm a safe person, so he's, he can't stop crying. And so Murray walks to him, and he gets down on his knee, and he grabs him by the shoulders, and he looks at him, and he says, Noble, sometimes you're going to strike out. He says, but I need you to get back out there. We got a game to play, and I need you back out on the field. And listen, if you always bat one for three, you'll be a Hall of Famer. Ooh. He wipes the snot from his nose and <laughs> tears from his eyes, and he runs back out there, and he makes a great play that inning. And he looks at me, and he's just smiling so happy. I thought about that so many times I read this passage. Because what Jesus says is, when you are living as my ambassador, you will strike out. There will be people who reject you. Living as the ambassador for Christ does not mean you're going to bat a thousand. Right, you, you are going to strike out. What's the big deal? You know, Harold Shank, one of our longtime preacher, preachers here, used to say, put in a word for Jesus in your conversations with people. Okay, so you put in a word for Jesus, they reject it. Who cares? Right? Like, it's not up to you to be successful. It's up to you to be faithful. That's what God calls his ambassadors to. He's not up there checking off a list. Well, Eric brought this many people to Christ this week, okay? No. God looks at you and he sees his faithful ambassadors and that brings him delight. That brings him delight. You know, when you get knocked back down, what scripture tells us is the harvest is still plentiful. We need laborers in the field. All right, get back out there. Get back out there. You are an ambassador for Christ. That's your identity. You're an apprentice. You're still learning the ways of Jesus. So am I. But though we're an apprentice, we are always still an ambassador. As we think about, you know, the problems our world is facing, we wonder, God, why aren't you doing more? We look around and I look at you. And I think about the things you are doing in the places you work and the schools you go to in the community in which we live, the, the things that we're do, those are doing who are watching us online, who are scattered around the world. And I think God is doing so much through you. When you and I live as ambassadors for Christ, we're going to experience his authority and presence and power in our lives. If your faith is struggling right now, step out. Put in a word for Jesus. Okay. When you and I are living as ambassadors for Christ, we're going to learn reliance on Jesus. We're going to be put in situations by Jesus in which we don't have the security blankets we so often need. And because of that, we are going to be forced to rely on him and he will always provide. 
your faith will grow as you're an ambassador for Christ. And then lastly, when we're an ambassador for Christ, we're going to learn how to fail for Jesus. We're going to go out there and we are going to strike out. People are going to tell us no. But what the world needs is not more successful people. It needs more resilient people. People who can get knocked down and keep going for Jesus' sake. You and I are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. The king of the world has chosen you. That is a high calling, but it is our calling 